Welcome back to Bible Time, Colossians 3 and verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, please illuminate your word. Open it to our understanding and open our understanding to it. Help us to be ready to hear and ready to receive, ready to obey. Please quicken us, Lord, in Jesus' name. And bless us today, we pray. Amen. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Now, before we get into this study, I just want to say we've got a lot going on. Um, we've got a tent meeting coming up um, with the ministry here down in Florida. We'll have information posted about that up on the website. We're trying to get a website launched um, that's um, separate from even the Sermon Audio site there, but for now you can go to sermonaudio.com slash solo slash stem, S-T-E-M, and you can find announcements and information and that kind of thing about the ministry. But um, in any case, bear with us. We haven't been very consistent this last week. Uh, we had camp meeting the week before, and we've got a lot going on this week, getting ready for the tent meeting as well as other um, moves in the ministry um, please pray for us. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, we covet your prayers. and We ask you to just pray and ask God to help us to continue to get the word out. And we greatly covet and appreciate your prayers. So let's get into our text. Colossians 3 and verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Now our context here that we've studied is, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. All of this came after Paul's warnings in chapter 2, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Christ is the central theme of the book of Colossians. If you had to sum up Colossians in one word, it would be Christ. If you had to sum up the Bible in one word, it would be Christ. So Colossians chapter 1 began, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy is our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love which you have to all the saints. Now, most people, and that's five mentions in the first four verses, grace to the whole world, which is God's plan of redemption is Jesus Christ to save the, all the sinners in the whole world who are willing to come, who will repent of their sins and turn in faith and believe in Jesus Christ. It says there in verse 5, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, where have ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel? And that is our hope, the word of the truth of the gospel. Now, Christ is the main theme, and Christ to most people in our day and age is used as a swear word. Now, if you're a Christian, you name the name of Jesus Christ, and yet you use the name of Jesus Christ as a swear word, shame on you. I doubt much you know the Lord if you can continue to do that regularly. I remember my dad's testimony when my dad got saved. He was a hellion. He was going after hell and sin with both hands and both feet as fast as he could. With everything in him, heart and soul, he was all in for everything the world had to offer. And one day he met Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about some of that 
um, about some of the nature of Christ that turned my dad today, specifically the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. But when my dad turned from sin and turned from the devil and repented of his sins, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he didn't see angels, he didn't have visions, he didn't hear a voice from heaven tell him, well done, thou good and faithful servant, or anything like that, and he really struggled with it. He'd been He'd grown up with a lot of emphasis on signs and wonders and gifts and because of that, he was looking for all of these externals. It's one of the reasons he hadn't gotten saved because he'd also been taught that if you get saved and then you screw up, you mess up, God will just drop you like a rock and you'll be lost and have to get saved again. And dad always said, I can't be, I can't do that. I can't live it. I know I can't. And so he figured he'd just try and get saved right before he died. Well, then one day he had an encounter with the Lamb of God, praise the Lord. And the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world took away the sins of my dad, Ronnie Jean Burks, when he repented of his sins and turned to Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Well, within the next week, I think it was the next day, if I remember right, he's passed away now. I can't really go ask him anymore, but um, praise the Lord, I know where he went. But when my dad, I think it was the next day, went to work, if I remember right, he took the name of the Lord in vain there at work with all his co-workers, and the moment he said it, grief came down over his heart. That had never happened before. Now, he had wrestled with God that night. He'd driven out to a park and prayed and wrestled with God, just trying to find some kind of external hope for his salvation, and all God would give him was peace. Isn't that interesting? Well, finally, it got to where about midnight, as he told me, the peace of God that passeth understanding had filled his heart and soul and mind, and he couldn't even wrestle anymore about whether or not he was saved, even though he didn't have any external manifestations. All he had was peace, praise the Lord. And that's all you need, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, my dad went home, and that next day, whenever he took the name of the Lord in vain, the peace left and grief entered. And God dealt with his heart, and he cried out in his heart to God, Oh God, forgive me. And the moment he did that, the peace came back, and with it came back a realization that God was dealing with him, and that God would not let him continue living in sin. And with that realization came great joy. He walked out of that building, I don't know if it was right then or a little while later, and he reached for his little pack of tobacco in his back pocket. He pulled out that old can of skull, and he started to dip in there to get a chew. And the Holy Spirit of God spoke to his heart and said, You don't need that. And he said, You're right. And he threw it in the trash can, and he never went back. He dumped out his liquor, or he never went back to it one or the other, and God changed him. God changed his life. There were many other things that didn't change right away. Some Christians thought should have changed right away, but God took more time on some of the other things. But the point, of the, the point that I'm making here is that Jesus Christ brought a change in my dad's life whenever he repented. Jesus Christ, the hope of the gospel, the word of the truth of the gospel, brought peace and brought a change to my dad. And it was through Christ that this happened. Now, um, Colossians 1 there is speaking of Christ, speaking of the gospel. Colossians, and it goes on and exalts and magnifies Christ all through Colossians 1. We studied that. We did not have the podcast going whenever we were studying Colossians 1. But Colossians 2, we did study most of that um, with the podcast going, and those are available online. 
And here the warnings are that you'd be moved away from Christ. So the context here in the book of Colossians, this the whole point is Christ. Chapter 1 exalts and magnifies Christ. Chapter 2 warns about getting away from Christ, being beguiled away from Christ, drawn away from Christ. Instead of having peace through our Lord Jesus Christ, have peace through circumcision, have peace through the Sabbath, have peace through putting tassels on your shirt, have peace through marching to the beat of a denominational drum, have peace through a bunch of man-made rules and institutions and laws. And the, and the Apostle Paul's warning us to not be spoiled, to not be beguiled, to not have our reward taken from us by leaving the leaving Jesus Christ. Chapter 3 then exhorts us to, if we be risen with Christ, to seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And chapter 3, in the first four verses, has four mentions of Christ. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And he'll go on here and give us instructions for how to live in the earth in a way that pleases Christ. So I think that's interesting. We have four mentions of Christ in the first four verses there, and this is how to live for Christ on the earth. So this is the application of the grace that was bestowed and extolled and magnified in chapter 1, now chapter 3, after the warnings of chapter 2. Chapter 3 is going to give us the practical application of what it means to seek those things which are above. And here we have the four mentions of Christ in the first four verses. I just think that's interesting. Now Christ means Messiah. Christ means Messiah. The word Christ brings forward all the prophecies of the Old Testament. So we're going to run some verses in the Old Testament real quick. Now, a lot of cults get you right here. There's a lot of people that are very ignorant. Now, when I started talking about my dad's testimony, one of the things that I got me off on that was the use of God's name in vain. Our people use the word Christ as a swear word in the United States of America and probably throughout the world. This is a common thing, but the word Christ has a very specific meaning. The word Christ brings forward all the prophecies of the Old Testament. Whenever people try and tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God, it's because they don't even know what the word Christ means. Jesus claimed to be God over and over and over and over and over again, and he preached that he was God in the flesh. He did not come out and say it in the way the Westminster Catechism says, or the Westminster Confession of Faith or whatever it is, but he did say it over and over again. If you want to see it, it's there for you to see. Jesus Christ claimed to be Christ. He claimed to be God. To claim to be Christ is to claim to be God. And we're going to look at that real quickly today. There's no way we can possibly look at all of it, but we're going to do our best to just to get a quick survey of some of the prophecies about Christ in the Old Testament, some of the types and shadows, mainly in the first five books. And we'll allude to some of those prophecies as well. Now go to Genesis chapter 1, and we'll begin with the first, the first showing of Christ. Now our, our text here is when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. There's three parts. When Christ, number one, who is our life, number two, 
who is our life, and then shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory, is really the third part. So there's who is Christ, and then the the answer, he is our life, and then the result of Christ being our life, that we shall appear with him in glory. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Now in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, we have here a plural word for God, Elohim. It's a plural sense. And this word God speaks of the Trinity of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. 1 John 5, 7 says there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. If you haven't looked it up recently, look it up and see if it's even in your Bible. Check out the footnotes and see if they cast dispersions on that verse. If you do, get a new Bible. Get a good old-fashioned King James Bible and read it and believe it. There is such an attack on the Word of God today, and there are so many false Bibles out there, and many people use them unknowingly, and God can still bless someone who's doing it in ignorance, but you should study it out, and you should find a good Bible. God will bless you more for it. You get a good Bible, get a hold of the real Word of God, and follow Jesus. Now, it says here, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. So you have God here in His Godhead as the Almighty God, Elohim, the Trinity. You have Him as mentioned, the Spirit of God, and God said, So you have here God the Father, God the Spirit there, and God the Word, and God said. So you have the Trinity openly displayed without even needing the Hebrew or the Greek for the New Testament. You can get the Trinity just out of the Word of God in English in the King James Bible. It is absolutely plain. The Bible says here, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, so God said. And every time God said, and God called, and God made, you have Jesus Christ. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So the Word of God is mentioned here, even though it's saying God Elohim, who is the Creator God, who is the Godhead, who is the Trinity, who is God the Father, who is God the Word, who is God the Holy Ghost, and you say, that's confusing. How can God the Father be God the Son, and God the Son be God the Holy Ghost, and how can these three be one, and how can they be individual while they're one, and I don't know the answer to that question, but I know the Bible teaches it, and I have willfully chosen to believe the Word of God in spite of my own intellectual limitations, and my inability to comprehend everything that there is is to know about God and how he works and how he operates, yet I have chosen to accept the testimony of God by faith and say, God, you said it, I believe it, and I'm going to move on and trust you that it's true, even though I can't wrap my head around it. Now, many people have said, if you can fit God, a God big, your God in your brain, he's a pretty small God. Now here, God called the light day in verse 5. God saw the light in verse 4. God said in verse 6. God made in verse 7. God called in verse 8. God said in verse 9. God called in verse 10. God said in verse 11. God saw in verse 10. God 
God said in verse 14, God made in verse 16, God set, God set in verse 17, God saw in verse 18, God said in verse 20, God created in verse 21, God saw in verse 21, God blessed in verse 22. God said in verse 24, God made in verse 25, God saw in verse 25, and then we get to verse 26. So all through all of these mentions of God in all of these verses, the Trinity is displayed, the power of the Godhead is displayed, and there's all through this a preparation for something that we're going to see in the next couple chapters, and that will be the Christ. So here God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, and God saw, and God said. Now, God saw in verse 31. Now, uh, we're not going to go into all the creative acts, but God created man in his image, body, soul, and spirit, a triune being, with a body, with a soul, and with a spirit. We get to chapter 2. And God ended his work. God formed man out of the dust to the ground to be in his image. So here is the first. This is a zoom in. He he purposed to and made man in verse 26 of chapter 1. Chapter 2 then zooms in and gives you a close view of what was happening in chapter 1 and gives you the details. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Now that first man, his name was Adam, as the word of God says. And that first man, Adam, then was a preparation for the Messiah. The Bible says, in the Psalms, in a prophecy of Jesus Christ, sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared me. And in the formation of Adam, we see God preparing for the formation of the God-man, Jesus Christ, in the formation of Adam. So we get on to chapter 3, and Adam sins against Almighty God, and they and verse 7 says, And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And there you have the first mention of Jesus Christ walking, the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And right here, Adam and Eve are hiding themselves from the presence of God. And the presence of God is manifested in the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I thank God for the young preacher boy that mentioned that, that saw that and and showed that to me. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? And he goes on and judges them. We get down to verse um, 15. We're taking way more time on this one than we intend to take on the other prophecies. We'll just see what God does. But this is the first prophecy of Christ in the Bible. And this is absolutely necessary to understand. If you don't get this one, you're not going to get very far with the rest of them. You need to start at the beginning and work your way through. The Bible says here, 
um, that whenever they sinned, the Lord judged them. By the way, look at verse 8 again. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. They hid from the voice of God walking. And who were they hiding from? The presence of the Lord God. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in your King James Bible tells you, gives you the information that this in the Hebrew would be Jehovah God, the Almighty God, the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And here comes Jesus Christ walking and they hid from the presence of Jesus Christ, the Lord God. Now, this is before he got his physical begotten body. So he was not yet known by the name of Jesus. Adam did not know him by the name of Jesus. That name would come in Luke. It would be where God tells Mary that his name will be called Jesus. And if you think that's crazy, oh, well, why did his name change? Well, guess what? God has given many names. We're going to look at that a little bit whenever we see God give the children of Israel the reference Jehovah that they didn't even know yet. That doesn't come until Exodus. And God has been revealing more and more information about himself to man since the beginning of the world. And that concept in the Bible is is referred to as progressive revelation, that God progressively revealed truth about himself and his his nature and his plan of redemption of fallen man throughout the ages from Genesis all the way through to Revelation when he closed the book. He closed the book until the living word of God stands and rules and reigns on this world with a rod of iron. Now, Here in verse 15, he says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, in case you missed your biology class, women don't carry seed. Seed belongs to the man. But he says here, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is the only mention of a woman's seed is in reference to Christ. And here is a reference to one that would be born of a woman who would necessarily then, in order to prove it was really the seed of the woman and not of the man, would would have to be a virgin. And we know that Mary conceived Jesus Christ by the Holy Ghost who put Christ in her womb and there you have the seed of the woman and what was the prophecy about this seed of the woman he said I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed he's speaking to the serpent and by by nature of the fact that Satan had indwelt that serpent in order to do his deed of temptation there he's also cursing Satan himself and the He has already cursed the physical serpent in verse 14. And here's the spiritual serpent being cursed in 15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, what is the seed of the serpent? Jesus told the scribes and the Pharisees, ye are of your father, the devil, and his works will ye do. There's a lie being circulated all around that we all children of God. We all God's children. We all part of one world. We all God's children, man. 
And it's a lie from the devil because he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus called the scribes and Pharisees children of your father, the devil. The Bible calls them, as we will see in Colossians, by nature, children of disobedience. Ephesians calls them children of wrath, if I remember my references right. The word of God is clear that there are children of the promise and there are children of the curse. There are children of Adam and there are children of the second Adam. Ye must be born again to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So this seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent would have a battle. And this sets the stage for the history of the whole world. Why there are wars. Why there are commotions. Underneath all of it all, there's a war going on between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And that will be the final culmination of the seed of the serpent will be whenever the Antichrist raises up his ugly head and takes takes position and power in this world for the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. That Antichrist coming up and taking power, he is the ultimate seed of the serpent. And he will be cast into the lake of fire in the end. Now he said here that the seed of the serpent shall bruise thy head, and thou, he says, shalt bruise his heel. So the seed of the serpent bruised Christ's head on Calvary whenever the crown of thorns were beat into his brow, but Jesus Christ bruised... I'm sorry, I mixed that up. The, The seed... He's speaking, I got that exactly reversed. It shall bruise thy head. Jesus Christ shall is the one that will bruise the head of the serpent who will crush it, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So Jesus' heel as it was bruised there on the cross at Calvary. Forgive me my mistake. Let God be true and every man a liar. And that's just another good opportunity to tell you to have your Bibles open and study out everything that's being preached because every preacher is nothing but a fallen man at his best. The only good that you get out of a preacher is what the Holy Spirit gives gives you through the preacher, through his word. So I encourage you to study it out. So this seed of the serpent will will be bruised in the head, and the seed of the woman will be bruised in the heel. This is a prophecy of the Messiah. Now we're going to start moving a lot quicker. Go to Genesis 6, and we have the ark. Here, God said to Noah that he should build an ark. He said to build it of gopher wood, and the wood speaks of humanity. There in the New Testament, he says, I see men as trees walking. And often God uses that in typology, and the wood of the ark is a picture of the humanity of Jesus Christ. The ark had one door. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by him. So that ark, Jesus Christ, is what will is that through which redemption comes. And Noah and his family entered into the ark, a picture of salvation. You must enter into Christ to be saved. And in Christ, they went through the judgment unscathed and untouched by the judgment and came out to a new heaven and a new earth. And all those animals there then inhabited the earth, all a picture of what the Christ is going to do in the end times and a picture of what Jesus Christ has done through salvation. Now, Genesis 7, and the Lord said unto Noah, 
Genesis 7-1, look at it in your scriptures. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. The qualification for entering into the ark is righteousness. And we know that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, the Bible says. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. But Jesus Christ has made a way through his body and his death and his burial and his resurrection that through his death on the cross, God can take your sins away from you and impute them to Christ and he can take Christ's righteousness and impute it to you and Christ rose from the dead and has enough righteousness for himself and for everyone who will call upon his name. So there you have the righteousness is the requirement for getting in the ark. There were three stories to the ark in chapter 6 and verse 16. And there are three parts to the Godhead. God the Father, God the Word, and God the Holy Ghost. John 14, 6, we already looked at. The way, the truth, and the life. Go to Genesis 12. Quickly, we got to keep moving. Now, why are we doing this? Again, it's Christ. Christ brings forward all the prophecies and all the types and all the foreshadows of the Old Testament. So every time you see the word Christ in the New Testament, it is referencing the Old Testament. These people that throw out the Bible and they only use the Bible from Acts 8 on, or they only use the Bible from Acts on, or they only use the Bible from Matthew 1 on have made a grave mistake, and they all fall into egregious and egregious errors because they've left the Old Testament, which God has given us for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto every good work. If you cut off the Old Testament, you cut off your own ability to see clearly what God would show you of doctrine in the New Testament. You can't understand the New Testament without the Old, and you can't understand the Old without the New. The two go together. Now, Genesis 12, he says here, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. Who's there? Genesis 12. Raise your hand. Let me see. We all there? Get there, quick. Genesis 12. Verse 2, follow along. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Verse 3, and I will bless them that bless thee. The UN needs to get a hold of this one. It'll, they'll be able to figure out why they have so many problems. He says, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And you say, I don't see Christ in that passage. Here he says, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And by the way, as you study out the life of Abraham, God promised Abraham a seed. And you see the continuation of the promise of the seed of the woman. And here the seed of the woman is going to bless all the families of the earth. This is a, what Christ is. Now the Jews got stuck in a failure to understand the part of the prophecies about Christ where he would bless all the nations of the earth. Even though the very first promise God made to Abraham, he, God, or the, there in chapter 12, included all the nations of the earth in the blessing that God would bless Abraham with. Now, Genesis 22. Genesis 22, God had given the seed, Isaac, and Isaac himself is a type, a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. And he went and he dug up the old wells, and we can't get into all that today. I haven't even studied it out, so I wouldn't do a good job if I tried. we got to keep moving. Uh, Genesis 22, 8. 
says, and Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Now, some people have chopped this up in a bunch of fake Bibles so that you can't even see this anymore. But if you get a good old Bible, an accurate Bible, then what you find here is that Abraham did not say God will provide for himself a lamb. God, He didn't say God will provide for us a lamb. He said God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And God means every word he says, and every word he says is pure. He said, God will provide himself a lamb. So here, Abraham made a promise to little Isaac. God had told Abraham, go and offer Isaac on Mount Moriah, which would become the temple mount later. But in the meantime, here goes little Isaac, and he doesn't see a lamb. And he says he says to his daddy, he says, where's, where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And they went on. And Abraham prepared the altar and the wood, and he laid Isaac on that wood, and he raised the knife to slay his son. And God said, Abraham, Abraham. And he stopped him and would not let him hurt that son because he never wanted to hurt the son. The whole purpose of that whole story was to show you and me what the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would do. Isaac is a type of Christ, was laid on the altar. And in type, Abraham received Isaac back to him again, alive from the dead. That's right out of Hebrews 11. You can go look at that later and look at how that holds true. That Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. And instead, God said, nope, there's a ram in the thicket. And that ram, again, is a picture of Christ. God, who would provide himself a lamb. God himself. God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And Isaac was received down from the altar and back to Abraham as a picture of Christ going back to God the Father, a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. People that accuse God of anything sick in this passage are sick in their own minds. They've gone so far they're probably reprobate and beyond any kind of reasoning unless God does something absolutely drastic in their lives. This is one of the most beautiful pictures of redemption in the Word of God, and we don't have time to study it out. Maybe another day we'll study out the only time God ever even acted like he wanted human sacrifice. But by the way, he said not to kill him, and he also forbid human sacrifice all through the law. So we know that that is not God's idea. And Satan has been offering human sacrifice for millennia. All these people try and accuse God of it. What a shame. What foolishness. So there was the ram caught in the thicket in verse 13. Go to Genesis 24 quickly. 2467. Genesis 24, 67, Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. So here is Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. And so here you have Isaac, a type of Jesus Christ, receiving a Gentile bride after the death of Sarah. And he received that Gentile bride and brought her into his mother's tent. A picture of the communion that Christ has with his Gentile bride, having grafted her into the vine of Israel. She went into his mother's tent. It doesn't get much more 
intimate and grafted in than that. So Genesis 32, 24, all these pictures and types of the coming Messiah, the deliverer who would be called Christ. Christ is the Greek transliteration of the word that we would, we've transliterized Messiah into from the Hebrew. And if I get some of that mixed up, I'm not going to apologize too much for that. And I'm not going to argue with it about it. But the idea that I'm bringing across is accurate, and you can study out your Bible and get it all right from your Bible. Beware those spoilers called Greek and Hebrew theologians, a bunch of stinking Bible correctors. Their degrees are worth nothing more than toilet paper, by and large. Genesis 32 and verse 3, and Jacob sent messengers. I'm not sure. All right, let's see here. That is not the one I want. I wanted 32.24. Here we go. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. So now we moved on from Isaac to Jacob. Jacob has received the promise of the seed, and here a man wrestles Jacob until the break of day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now about that time, Jacob realized he was not fighting with an ordinary man. He was fighting with something other than an ordinary man. This man touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh. He, the hollow, he reached inside Jacob's leg without making him bleed. He touched the hollow of his thigh. Now, maybe you think I'm reading too much into that. And if I am, then may God correct me. But I'm going to show you here that this is Christ. Look at verse 26. And Christ can go through doors. He can go through walls. He sees through your house. He sees through the atmosphere. He sees through everything. He's God Almighty. He can touch whatever he wants. And here he wrestled with Jacob. And he said, Let me go for the day breaketh. And he that is Jacob said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he that is the man, the man, the man, a man wrestling Jacob. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, that's the man, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. So here this man changed Jacob's name to Israel, and said, Because thou hast power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask my, after my name? He did not answer him because he was not yet begotten. And when he would be begotten, his name would be revealed, and his name is Jesus. We know that now. Jacob didn't know it then. And he blessed him there. Look at verse 30. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen who? I don't hear you. Who? I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Jacob was wrestling with Jesus Christ before his incarnation. It was a pre-incarnate appearance. You say, how can Jesus appear that way? Jesus appeared with two other men at Sodom. 
whenever he went down to Sodom, he appeared there with Abraham, and Abraham interceded for Sodom, but alas, they had sinned far beyond even Abraham's wildest dreams, and they were burned up in the wrath and judgment of Jesus Christ, the Almighty God, the Judge. Listen, if you don't get who Christ is, you're going to be messed up the rest of the rest of the time you read the Bible. We've got to figure out who Christ is. Christ is the Almighty God. And here he was wrestling with Jacob, and he touched Jacob's thigh. He blessed Jacob. He put Jacob's thigh out of joint. He gave Jacob a new name, and he blessed them. So here is Christ wrestling as a man. First John 1 says, that which our hands have handled. This is a foreshadow, a, for, a, a early appearance of Jesus Christ before he was begotten. By the way, God made time. God is outside of time. There is no past, present, or future that has any hold over God. It is all created by God and for God. And we are the ones that are bound by time. The Bible says that Christ was slain from the foundation of the world. That's in God's economy. And we don't understand that. I believe it because the Bible says it. And if you want to go and try and make a bunch of weird metaphysics and all kinds of stuff to try and explain it, you're probably going to get into heresy. Just believe the word of God. Just believe it just like it says it. Here was God wrestling with Jacob. And it shows us his nature. Why in, why in God's name would God wrestle with Jacob? Jacob, because he loved Jacob and he was producing something in Jacob through it. He could have killed Jacob. He didn't have to wrestle with him, but he met Jacob where Jacob was at. And if you read that, it says that they wrestled with him a man till the break of day. Jesus Christ was willing to wrestle with Jacob. Did you know that? He hadn't even been born yet, but there he was wrestling with Jacob. This teaches us about Christ. Now go quickly. Genesis 37. Man, this has taken time, but it's worth it. And we could take a whole lot more time. We're barely even scratching the surface. Can you get me a water bottle, please? Genesis 37 and verse 8. Here's Joseph, and he dreamed a dream, and his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him, yet the more for his dreams and for his words. We could get lost just in Joseph for the next several weeks. We're just going to touch a couple things and move on. Joseph pictured Christ, envied and rejected by his brethren, and why did they envy him? When Joseph first appeared to his brethren, Joseph appeared to his brethren as a servant. He was younger than most of his brethren, so they saw him as a little baby. And they could not comprehend how these dreams could possibly be true that he was having because they saw his humanity. And even as it was with um, Joseph, so it was with Christ. His brethren saw him born. The shepherds saw him in the manger. They saw him working on wood with his father as a carpenter in Nazareth. And they could not comprehend how these dream, how his dreams and his words could come true. How the prophecies and the dreams that God had given the prophets would apply to Joseph. And they said to, or to Jesus Christ, and they said to Jesus, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they, the Jews, Jews hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Look at verse 11. And his brethren envied him 
But his father observed the saying. And Jesus Christ went down to be baptized. The Jews envied him. But his father said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It's Christ. As, as Joseph went down into Egypt, rejected. They killed him in type. They threw him in the pit, a picture of the grave. But Jesus, but Joseph came up from the grave. The Jews put Jesus in the grave. But Jesus came up from the grave. The Jews still did not believe in Joseph, and they sold him into Egypt. And Jesus Christ, when he came up from the grave, he did not go back to his brethren. He went to the Gentiles, and he sent the apostles to the Gentiles, and in the apostles, he went to the Gentiles, though he ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father. So Jesus Christ, Joseph, a picture of Jesus Christ, he went down to Egypt where he became a king. And when his brethren came to him halfway through the seven-year drought, a picture of the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, when his brethren came to him and bowed to him, they bowed to him as a king. And it was after the drought that they prospered in the land of Goshen with the forgiveness that Joseph gave them after Jacob had died. And there in the land of Goshen, they came to him again. And he says, don't think this. Don't even think these thoughts. I've forgiven you. I've forgiven you completely. Look it up. It's a picture of the coming Christ, a picture of the Messiah. And so shall Christ reign even as Joseph reigned. So And so shall Israel bow. The sacrifices all show us Christ. We'll get to that in just a moment. Go to Exodus quickly. Exodus quickly, quickly, quickly. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, so shall we also appear with Him in glory. If you want to understand what it means to appear with Him in glory, you've got to understand who He is. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. Moses asked God, what is his name? When they, when they shall say to me, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Now this is an appearance of Jesus Christ as a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. You can read the context in Exodus 3. Look at verse 2. And you'll see the burning bush. Later, Jesus Christ himself would tell the scribes and Pharisees before Abraham was, I am. And they would take up rocks to stone him. And thereby, Jesus Christ claimed the name of God. Being in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus Christ is the God, the almighty God, the only God, Jehovah God. He's Elohim. He is Adonai. He is all the names of God, Jesus Christ is God. Christ, by the very nature of the word Christ, Messiah, means all that God is and all that God can be. Every time you see the word Christ, you are seeing a word that sums up in one word all the prophecies and revelation about God, about his nature, about his names in the whole Old Testament. Jesus Christ. Christ. The Almighty God. 
There he is in the burning bush. I was just with a friend. He was singing a song. That's him extolling Jesus Christ in his types and his shadows all through the Old Testament. It was a blessing to hear. Um, Isaiah 9, 6 says that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Everlasting Father, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. We'll get to those, Lord willing, in just a minute. He's the I am that I am in the burning bush. Go to um, Exodus 6, 3 and uh, start in verse 2. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. So here's another revelation of the name of God, and this Jehovah God is Christ. When you see Christ, you can see Jehovah written underneath it. When you see Christ, you see God Almighty written underneath it. When you see Christ, you see the Creator God, the Deliverer, the Branch, the Stem of Jesse, the Root, the Offspring of David, the Bright and Morning Star, every name of God, the I Am, written under the word Christ in the New Testament. Exodus chapter 12. This is a big deal to me. Maybe you're tired of this subject, but I can remember as a little boy, one day the the question hit my mind, did Jesus ever say he was God? And I read the whole New Testament looking for the verse where Jesus said, I am God. And he didn't say it. And it bothered me. And for years, I read my Bible looking for proof that Jesus is God. And one day, God showed it to me. And ever since that day, I have been finding more and more and more and more scripture that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is God. I remember when God put it on my heart to mark under every reference to Christ in the New Testament. And I went through marking every reference reference to Christ. And as I neared the completion of that task, God opened up my understanding of what the word Christ means. And I about couldn't stop shouting until I shouted my self hoarse. And I kept shouting because the word Christ means the almighty God of the Old Testament. It brings forward every bit of foreshadow, every prophecy, every type of the Messiah from the Old Testament. The name of Jesus Christ has power. Power. Hallelujah. So Exodus 6, 3, we read Exodus 12, 3. He says here in verse 3, Speak unto all the congregation of Israel, saying in the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And here we have Jesus Christ as the lamb. Old John the Baptist would point his finger at Jesus and say, Behold the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Verse 13 says, And the blood shall be to you for a token. Look at it in your Bibles. The blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are and when I see the blood I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. This is none other than the blood of Jesus Christ in foreshadow. 
Exodus 19, 19, I want to introduce you to Christ at Sinai. I know many of you have seen shows, many of you have heard stories or read books about Sinai, and you never have seen Jesus Christ, but I want you to see him today with God's help. Go to chapter 19, here's Moses going up to the mount, the Lord speaking to Moses, Moses speaking to the Lord, and we get down here. To verse 19, and when the voice of the trumpet sounded louder, long and waxed louder and louder, louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. Genesis chapter three said that they heard the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And here in Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, I wish I could shout like I would like to shout for this, but I just do not have it in me physically today but it's in me spiritually and I hope it's producing something spiritually in you today. He says here, God answered him by a voice. Right there is the word. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost and these three are one. And right here, the Word of God in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. And then This voice of God, the word of God, answered Moses on the mount. Verse verse 1 of chapter 20, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God. Now here, Jesus Christ, covered by the shroud. Oh God Almighty, I wish I could preach this right. Exalt your son, Jesus Christ, for Christ's sake today. Chapter 20, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. These words ought to be in red if you have a red letter Bible. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them for I the Lord thy God am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. The law goes on down there and the Bible says in verse 18, and all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off and they said unto Moses, speak thou with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. The people heard the voice of God. This this is completely misrepresented represented in every rendition that I've ever seen that I wish I'd never seen in every book, every children's book, every Bible story book. Here God Almighty gave the Ten Commandments vocally, verbally from the cloud on the Mount Sinai and all the children of Israel heard the Ten Commandments uttered by the voice of God, Jesus Christ himself, whose eyes are like a flame of fire, whose countenance was as lightning to look upon about his paps was a golden girdle and he's clothed in white linen oh lord god almighty help me today right out of revelation chapter 
31, there he was on Mount Sinai. His voice was as thunder. His voice was as many waters. And, and they were just like the apostle John who said in verse 17 of Revelation 1, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead and he laid his right hand upon me saying unto me, fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Hallelujah. And there on Mount Sinai, Jesus Christ himself with a countenance as lightning touched down on that mountain. And the mountain smoked like a furnace. And the voice of God, the word of God, the son of God, Jesus Christ the righteous spoke these words saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. But he had that smoke and that cloud there because he was not yet begotten, because he did not yet have a shroud of flesh, and because the children of Israel would have died. They wouldn't have just fallen at his feet as dead. They would have fallen dead before him. Every one of them would have died in his presence. It was Jesus Christ whose hand was over the cleft in the rock. It was Jesus Christ who walked by the cleft in the rock. It was Jesus Christ's glory that shone on Moses' face until the children of Israel could not steadfastly look upon him and ask that a veil be placed over his face. I'm telling you, that's him. That's Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to the Lamb. This is Jesus Christ. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall we also appear with Him in glory. Titus 1, 3 and 4. Titus 2, 13, 3, 4 and 6. All reference God, our Savior. We're going to go to Isaiah real quick. We are skipping volumes and volumes of texts that refer directly and indirectly to Jesus Christ. And going right all the way to Isaiah, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to them that put their trust Trust in Him. Go to Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 8. But now, O Lord, Thou art our Father. We are the clay and Thou art potter. And we all are the work of Thine hand. Go to Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45, we're going to work backwards here through a couple verses. Isaiah 45, 15. Verily thou art a God that hidest thyself, O God of Israel, the Savior. Thou art a God that hidest thyself, O God of Israel, the Savior. And verse 21, tell ye me, and bring them near, yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time, who hath told it from that time, have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me, look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself the word, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That's Christ that unto me 
Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall swear. A direct reference to um, with Philippians 2.10 that in the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's coming whether you like it or not. Go to Isaiah chapter 43 and we haven't even touched half of the verses that I'd like to touch today. Isaiah 43, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 3. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. Verse 11, I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Go to Titus quickly, quickly. We've got to move through some Scripture verses and close out today. Titus, <clears throat> chapter 1. And verse 3, but hath in thee, it says, in hope of eternal life, in verse 2, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Verse 4, to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Hallelujah. Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior with a capital S, Jesus Christ. And again, he said, I am God alone and beside me there is no Savior. I am God, I the Lord, and there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Go to Titus 3 and verse 4. But after the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared. And then we jump down to verse 6, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Isaiah 9, 6, we've already mentioned, calls Jesus Christ the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, the child that would be born. Now Jesus Christ came in the form of a little baby. He came with a literal physical flesh. He was incarnated by the Holy Spirit of God, conceived in the womb of Mary. He lived a perfect sinless diet, death, life and he died a perfect sinless death as a sacrifice, as the Lamb of God for our sins. Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God. Go to 1 John 1. Quickly. <clears throat> We're almost done today. 1 John 1 and verse 1, That which was from the beginning which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father was manifested unto us. Our text says when Christ, we've looked at who Christ is, and then it says who is our life. And we're going to look at that life that's in Christ real quickly here. So John 1, 1, 1 John 1, 1. <clears throat> Our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it. Now the only way to see life and the sense and for this to be accurate in any way is for it to apply directly to Jesus Christ. Let's cross reference this to John chapter 1. We've already said, mentioned it several times. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4, in Him was life. 
and the life was the light of men. Go down to 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now the glory of Jesus Christ. If any man says that the glory of Jesus Christ is as of the only begotten of the Father. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And yet they deny that Jesus is God. They're either ignorant or a liar. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Go to John 5 quickly. John 5. And we will be done here in just a moment. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given the son, to the Son to have life in himself. Our life is in Christ. Now there's three aspects of our life that is in Christ. And we'll just briefly touch them. Our life from the dead spiritually, we have when we're born again by the power of God. And we've been reading about it here in the Gospels. And then we have our life from the dead works under the law. And we find that in Galatians. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God that loved me and gave himself for me. I encourage you to look up as ye have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. That verse in Colossians, we have a podcast on that verse that deals with the life of Christ in the believer which is sancti- practical sanctification on a daily basis. Then we have life from the curse of death, which we're going to look at at the end of this verse. By the way, life from the dead is also preached throughout Romans 6. Planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. That also ties to 1 Corinthians 15. Go there quickly. 1 Corinthians 15. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear... Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. So now we're in this third part. When Christ who is our life shall appear. Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Now Christ appears in the heart and life of a believer. And by eyes of faith. Whenever he is seen by eyes of faith. Jesus Christ appears spiritually in the life of a believer. Then the Lord Jesus Christ appears in the outworking of the life of the believer. Whenever we are crucified with Christ in our souls and we lay in dust life's glory dead. And we we lay down our hopes and our dreams and our aspirations and surrender to God and take up our cross and follow Him. Then the life of Christ appears and the glory of Christ appears even in our soul and fills us with the Spirit of God and the knowledge of God. The holiness and the blessings of God and the fruit of the Spirit. But there's another appearing of Christ when Christ shall appear. And He said, whenever we see Him, we shall be like Him. And we're going to get, Lord willing, to Thessalonians after we get done with Colossians. And Thessalonians deals much with the second coming of Christ. And we'll deal more with the timing and the and all of the um, other facts that have to deal with it then. I just want to look at the operation of it today, Lord willing, and very quickly. 1 Corinthians 15. And go to 
verse 51. Now the context here is the resurrection of the dead. Paul said in verse 42, so is also the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which was which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. <clears throat> Hallelujah. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. When we see him, we will be like him. And we will bear the image of the heavenly. Look at verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So in this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death shall be swallowed up in victory. Death shall be swallowed up. <clears throat> Excuse me. The saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But God, be th but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable. Okay, now this is terrible because I've just gotten done with the introduction, and we're ready for the whole next, the whole message that has to do with this verse. But I'm out of gas, and so are you. So we're gonna. Cut it off right here. <clears throat> I just want to bring you the um, context to this. And you're going to have to study it out for yourself. So Colossians 3. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. So this appearance of Christ will result in the changing of our mortal bodies, of our corruption, of our earthy glory into a heavenly glory, into incorruption, into immortality, into a freedom from the sin nature, into a freedom from sin altogether. Now here in in 1 Corinthians, this thing of the death is sin and the strength of sin is the law and in Colossians he just got done saying beware lest any man spoil you beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy through vain deceit through all these things and this spoiling he was telling them you're observing um, Sabbaths and new moons and what to drink and what to eat you're going back to the law and Paul is telling the Corinthian church almost the exact same thing the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable. This ties directly with Galatians. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made thee free. 
and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. He says, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And the context as we've studied, this ties directly to get together that when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. So as Paul begins to give us the practical application of the Christian life, it all rests on Christ, on who Christ is, on what Christ has done, on what Christ is going to do, on the coming of Christ, on the change that Christ has made in our spirits, the change that Christ is making in our souls, and the change that Christ will make in our corruptible body. And he leads in with that to the rest of this text of practical Christianity in Colossians chapter 3. And Lord willing, we'll study that out in the near future. Thank you for your time. May God bless you. Father, in Jesus' name, bless this word and let it have free course. Use it for thy glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.